You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a a happy, I'm going to just call it a very happy time in my life. <laughs> this is a happy episode because I'm going to be breaking down the uh, my recent success here in Iowa. I'm going to uh, talk about the strategy. I'm going to talk about uh, the, the terrain that I was hunting in. Uh, the layout. I'm going to put it all all together. Uh, and to be honest with you, it's not a going to be a very long uh, long episode because of just how short this hunt took. Right? Uh, I moved in. Uh, I hunted three times on one farm, and on the third time, I connected. And a lot of it has to do with using the data that I was that I was given, and uh, then using that data. And the elements like wind direction and terrain features, and put it like I put it into an equation and out uh, outspit a a stand location that I thought was going to be good, and I went in there and I got the job done. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, I do have to say that I'm I I have a, I still have an erection. Like <laughs> I know this is going to sound crazy, but I am just I'm jacked. And the way this story kind of played out. When I was checking my trail cameras, I said to myself, I want this buck. I want this buck. And I just visualized it and I visualized it and I visualized it. And I just thought about it and thought about it. What's he doing? What circuit is he running? I checked some trail cameras, got pics of him uh, on a couple trail cameras. And then bingo, um, he came out, uh, he, he came out and I put the wood or put the arrow to him. So uh, we're going to talk about all that today. But sponsors of the uh, Nine Finger Chronicles. I, uh, I'm not going to go in and do a, a huge long spiel, even though they probably want me to on an episode like this. I just want to keep it real short. And I want to tell you guys that without support, like advertising dollars, I could not make my lifestyle happen, right? I would probably still be sitting in a cubicle or in a factory line somewhere um, doing something that I really didn't love. But instead... I have created something here that these companies believe in. Uh, I believe in them. They believe in me. And it's this mutual, you know, this mutual handshake here that we have. And they pay me money. And I am able to promote their products online. I use their products. um, And I'm going to talk about that in in, uh, upcoming hunting gear podcast about all the gear that I used. And, um, I don't know. So I'm just going to run through these products. And if you have the opportunity, just go to their websites and take a look at some of the products they offer. If it's something that might fit your hunting style, 
purchase it or hit me up. Maybe I'll have a discount code for you. Uh, maybe I don't on some of these brands, but uh, Vortex Optics, they're the title sponsor, vortexoptics.com. Um, awesome company. Ozonics, uh, you guys have heard me talk about the use of ozone in O3, not only in the woods, but out, you know, in the in the garage during the dry wash cycle as well. Uh, go uh, find, just Google Ozonics and they'll pop up and just go to their website. Uh, ExodusOutdoorGear.com, my favorite trail cameras. Um, and they had a huge Im- impact in today's hunt, uh, in today's uh, episode. We have Lone Wolf portable tree stands. Again, another product that... Uh, got me in there first time in best time in scenario uh four sticks and an assault wasp broadheads dude (laughs) my jackhammer absolutely destroyed this this deer and i'll talk about that uh when i when we get into the episode excalibur crossbows you can go to excaliburcrossbow.com if you're in the market for a crossbow and then hunt stand another uh you know another part of the equation right so i i get the pics of the deer uh, on the trail cameras um i'm looking at wind direction on hunt stand i'm looking at terrain features topo lines on hunt stand i'm putting all the pieces of the puzzle together and out spits this uh equate you know out spits of the equation this uh this stand location and i moved in so Please go out and support the companies that support me, or at least go to their website, check them out. And if you have any questions about any of those products, please reach out to me. I'll be happy to fill you in or reach out to them. They would be happy to talk about you as well. Uh, talk to you, to you as well. All right. Woo. Fired up. All right. But I wasn't fired up and I'll tell you why. So late October this year, we had quite a bit of rain. And we had one of those two-day soakers that the ground is still wet. And it's put it has put in the counties that I hunt in, farmers behind the eight ball uh, as far as getting their crops out. And we got more rain coming this week. And, you know, as much as I uh, would love to just snap my fingers and make things work, these, these farmers are out here grinding their ass off. They're working hard. Um, and weather can really affect what it is that they're trying to accomplish. Anyway, what we have here is we have a, uh, a scenario where the corn just was not coming out. And here it is, November, I don't know what today is, you're listening to this on uh, the 10th. It's November 10th, and we still have corn in, uh, like all the corn in one farm's in, and then a lot of corn in the neighboring farms are in as well. And that just it really affects deer movement and it really spreads things out. So what you have to do is you have to cast a much wider net in order to find out what it is, you know, what it is that you're looking for. And you have to be more critical of your decision-making and every move real really counts because a deer could just be five rows in eating corn and you'd never see them. Right. Or beans are going to hold if they're going to stick tight to beans on a neighboring property that you don't have access to. Man, sometimes that can impact you. And I have one farm where I was getting pictures of absolute giants, two to be specific, um, on the farm that was near my house. And I'll tell you right now, I haven't had one picture since opener of any of those deer. Uh, Like 
anything even close to shooting. I think the biggest deer that I have on camera on that farm, uh, even on cell cam and the, the cameras that I, I went and checked, uh, November 1st was a 120 inch 10 pointer. That's it. So corn is really affecting the deer movement on that farm. As soon as they get out, I have a feeling that the deer will be much more visible. They'll be back into the timber full time, uh, except to eat. And uh, it just, it removes that much more cover from the, the, the property. So that's what I was dealing with on both farms, right? So I'm just going to start off November 1st because I hunted off and on um, the last week in, in October. But again, checking trail cameras, setting up these tree stands, running gun, looking for great sign. Dude, I saw a rub as big as my waist. No joke on this farm. It tells me something's in there. But when I went in to hunt, I wasn't seeing anything. And there was zero, there was absolutely zero rut movement at going on, right? I didn't see any chasing. I would see uh, just a, a handful of deer. The does didn't seem pressured. I think I blind called because I was bored. I knew I wasn't going to come back to that farm. I blind called one time and uh, a little, like I said, a little 100 point, 100, 100 inch eight pointer came in. And I was like, oh man, everything leading up to this is telling me to go to the next farm. However, November 1st and 2nd, Monday and Tuesday, my wife had to work. So I only got to hunt the, the evening of November 1st and then November, what was it? It was November 2nd morning and afternoon. I didn't get to hunt because my wife uh, was at work. So I wanted to go down to my main farm where I hunt. So I texted the, uh, the other guys who hunt it. And I said, Hey, what's the story? Where, you know, where are you guys going to be? What are you going to do? And we, you know, we have open lines of communication and they were going to be down there. And so I said, uh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to hold off. I don't want to go into this, uh, into the, my main farm, uh, blind, uh, I don't want to, I, I had a stand already set up in a really good traditional rut spot, but I didn't want to just go in blind on the very first hunt. So I wait, I hunted up here on uh, Wednesday morning, uh, which would have been the third, no, November 3rd. And then I, I packed up, I didn't see shit. I packed up and then I headed down to my main farm. I went straight there and I, I get down on the farm and I check one, two, three trail cameras, but I, I, I didn't check them until I got home that night. So I really didn't know what was, what was in the area, what was on the farm. And as you guys know, uh, from listening to this, uh, you know, listening to this podcast, there's a huge shift in September, right? And September really kind of is that telltale sign of what sticks around. Well, I checked my trail cameras on October 10th, which is something that I very rarely do. I never go into the property and check trail cams during the season unless I'm going to hunt. Well, I made a special trip up here and it wasn't looking pretty. There was, there was not much on October, you know, leading up to October 10th or October 10th on the farm that even got me interested in hunting at all, to be quite, you know, honest with you. I had two farms that were showing no shooter deer, no, no deer that I guess I was interested in. So I get down there and I'm on my way into a really good, uh, a really good rut spot. 
and it's uh, November, the afternoon of November 3rd. And the hunt is, I climb up and I instantly have deer around me. Okay. It's just this beautiful little, it's not a, it's a crick system that kind of splits off into two cricks uh, or, or where two cricks meet. And in these peninsulas, it kind of creates these twists and turns in the creek, uh, kind of almost like a yin yang sign creates these peninsulas. And on the tips of these peninsulas are really thick, nasty bedding. And the deer just love to be down here. So, uh, that night I am watching, uh, all these little, you know, these button bucks and a couple fork horns just hang out, hang out at the bottom of my stand, making their way from the bedding to this, uh, this ag field. And, and even on the other side of the creek, which is a different property, uh, they typically come out of that bedding and come, to, you know, right past me on this creek crossing on on a south wind. Because I knew that there wasn't going to be any north north winds. Uh, the forecast for the next ten days said south winds, which really sucks because that that spot is dynamite with a straight north wind. But I was hunting a, a straight south and straight southwest wind, which if there was anything coming back from the timber to me in certain areas it may have been kind of uh i don't know it it may have been a disaster waiting to happen but i didn't you know i didn't really have any other options at that point i could have done a blind running gun into a random spot but i went to a place that had historically good deer movement and i saw some really good movement movement that night i saw 230 30 inch deer uh one was an eight and one was a 10 and both these deer i would put them at three or you know three-year-olds and they were pushing deer around and and uh it was a fun hunt it was fun i I sat there and i uh uh was able to kind of just watch you know a little of this pre-rut unfold the does didn't seem too receptive they were they were running around uh you know avoiding them but nothing was nothing was really popping off and and you know because typically if it's on the big dogs step out of this spot and they 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 take control of it so i go i the hunt that hunt is over right Uh, i didn't see anything worth shooting the sign was minimal at best i mean there was some fresh scrapes um along the the field edge on my access route down into there but I, I pulled down everything except the stand. I took my, you know, my bow hangers off, uh, um, my, my tree hooks out, and I put it back in my bag because I didn't know if I was going to hunt there again in the morning. So I, I get home, instantly check the trail cameras. Well, the trail cameras at this point uh, indicate deer movement. And one of the deer in the area was a wide nine pointer. And I don't even know if you, you're going to be able to count this. It might be an inch, right? So he's a mainframe eight with just a, like a very little point, almost like a crab claw type point at the, uh, at the end, excuse me, of his left, left beam. But he is wide. He was wide and he looked like a hang glider kind of coming, coming through the woods on these pictures. And I had one picture of him on October 30th, right by my tree stand. And so I'm like, okay, this deer is in the area. I didn't know about this deer at all. You know, I don't know. I might have to go back and check some cams, but, um, 
there because there have been a, in the in the past years a couple wide eight pointers in the area that were that could have potentially turned into this deer but i didn't you know i didn't go back and check anything all i knew is that this was a mature deer great body size and he had a big big wide rack right and i said if he comes by i'm going to shoot him okay so i i check uh, a couple other cameras and there was that deer and then there was one more deer on a, on a different trail camera up up the uh, the field edge a ways, um, out of the bedding area, up the field edge that I put. And there was, he was, I don't think he was on that one, but he was, um, uh, he wasn't on that one. But another really good, I think he's a 10 pointer, but he had kickers coming off his G2s on his left side. And he had a little kind of, uh, he had kind of a, a hook coming out of his main beam almost i'd say about an inch long so it was just kind of a uh, not not a drop but it was coming straight out and then turned up a little bit and so he had really good character and he looked like a four-year-old but it was kind of hard to tell right i'd put him in the high 140s low 150s class um something that i would have to really take a look at uh, if I was, if he came by my tree stand just to double check, cause I didn't really get a good broadside shot of shot of him in order to tell, Hey, this, this is a shooter, but this n- wide nine was a shooter. So that tells me, Hey, you need to get back into that tree stand the next day. Right? So mornings out there, the other group of hunters comes in. It's a father and son. They've been hunting there just as long as I have. And, um, they have permanent stands. So a lot of my decision making uh, uh, kind of revolves around what they're doing. Uh, I don't want to interrupt their hunts. Uh, I don't want to be an asshole and kind of sneak in and get real close to them. I, yes, I, I, I do flank them sometimes, but it's not anything close to affect a hunt to where I feel like if I rattled, they would hear me or if, uh, you know, I, I could see him coming into a tree stand or, or anything like that. Right. I, I kind of just want to, I don't want to cause any problems. I just want to stay away from them and they do a really good job of staying away from me. We're very cordial. Uh, we share information and uh, we talk about what's moving, you know, how many deer did you see? And so I decided, Hey, I'm going to go back to that bedding area stand down in the river bottom and I'm going to hunt in the morning. So that morning comes and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good morning. I see it took a while to get started, but I had one little buck come through right away. And when I say little, I'm going to say like a 90 inch, uh, three by three and uh, a six pointer, just something real tiny, two year old. And then we had, um, some other deer just kind of milling around that bedding area, um, uh, a doe came through with a fawn and then there was a couple other button bucks that kind of went through and then it just stopped. Right. So I'm sitting there an hour and a half goes by and I'm really not sure what time it was. Uh, th- this was before the time change. So we're sitting somewhere at about uh, 9 30, 10 o'clock and I see a deer standing way across the, the bedding area on the different property and he looked his his antlers looked dark but it looked like he had some really good mass i saw him for a split second so i threw the horns together 
in hopes that I could pull him off that property through, through this bedding area and he would come to investigate. I've, I've done this trick a lot and it's worked a lot, but this deer never showed up. I think he was on a hot doe. And then I saw a couple other bucks way back there running and chasing. And so I didn't really know what I was going to do, uh, you know, cause I'm not an all day sitter and I didn't feel like the, the deer were going to kind of come back, come back through again. So I said, Hey, I have, I have two more trail cameras that I really want to no, know that actually after that hunt, I went and I checked one, two trail cameras in this area. Um, and then I went to the opposite side of the farm and I checked one, two, three, four, four other trail cameras way on the other side of the farm. And I said to myself, this is going to tell me where I'm going to hunt tonight. Okay. So I was, I was option one was going to be, if there's nothing in the, the big timber on the east side of the farm, I'm going to come back over here and I'm going to hunt that same tree stand again. Because uh, you guys heard me talk about uh, back in the, oh, was it uh, last year, the year before, maybe I was too mobile. I was bouncing around too much. Okay. Um, so I said, I want to give this, uh, I know that this deer is going to be like this, this wide deer is going to be coming through here at some point. Hell, an, another shooter buck could be coming through here at some point, checking, checking this doe group. Um, so I went and I pulled those cameras, went back to the house. And I started checking cameras, right? So the two trail cameras that I did check had this buck on, uh, this wide buck on them, and they were both over here. So that's a good indicator. Now, the bad part is, is um, one of those trail cameras in, this, in that area is where the other hunters hunt. The other one was the most recent data, and it was from that morning. So he came through this little two track, uh, cutting across uh, a ridge that emptied out into the bottom, excuse me, emptied out into the bottom at 4am. And I was pulling into the farm probably about 6am. Uh, and then it's a 30 minute walk from the, my truck to there. So I was in the stand at about six. 30 645 and uh, it's still dark at that point sun's coming up at about seven starts getting light at 7 15 whatever and so he was in there that morning so i knew he's i i had a gut feeling he was on the farm somewhere and then i pulled another trail camera and he was on that trail camera um up from another trail camera that i had uh so to the east of another trail camera that i had so i had a hit of him um, down at the bedding area, I had a hit on him southeast of that position on a ridge system, and straight east on a fence line, I had another hit on him all within a a five day period. Okay, so this is now the morning of November fourth. Okay, so hit, hit, hit. I checked the other trail cameras, and there was a couple of pictures of this big wide buck and a couple other ones of him, but they were all during the first week of like the first couple of weeks of October. So that, that tells me it's not recent data. And it tells me that he's over on this other side of the farm. On top of that, there was no other really good deer on that part of the property that, that got my interest. Um, there was some deer that I would call them big three-year-olds. 
and I just did not want to run into them at all. So I, I'm flipping through the, I'm flipping through the, uh, the trail cameras. I know I say to myself, you know what? I'm going, I'm going back to that, that tree stand again. I'm going to give it one more shot at this point, hunting it two times in a row, walking in there, walking in, walking out, walking in, walking out. Now I, I have this feeling that there's pressure there. They know I'm there you know, or they've known that there's been some kind of intrusion into this area, but still it's really good access, right? I, I'm, it, it's the best access route for that wind direction and for that tree stand. So it minimizes it because a majority I'm on the, I'm on a, what I would call a mini staging area right before that bedding area, but I can see into the bedding area. And that's where uh, the sign kind of starts to pop up a little bit. And so I have, I was, I've had having this internal debate of where should I hunt? Because, you know, the other two hunters were going to be in their stands that kind of were in this triangle, right? So it was in this, uh, this triangle of these points and how I do it is, is I put a point on a map where every time I see a deer, uh, a deer that I'm after, or I have a trail cam picture of them. So I had a trail cam picture of them in this the in the bedding area. Then I draw a line from that picture, that trail camera location, all the way to the other trail camera location, and then another trail camera location. And so what I do is I draw a line and what this has done is it it has created in this instance, a triangle. Well, I look at all the terrain features within this triangle. And I said to myself, okay, how are the deer working their way up to these trail cameras? What ridges are they running? What draws are they working in this area? Where are they going to be moving versus where they're not going to be moving? Okay. So this is an active farm. There's cattle in some of these pastures and there's also horses in some of these pastures. So they're typically not going to be walking right down into the middle of any of these fields or pastures in broad daylight, just because there's cattle, it's active. There's people out there doing chores and whatnot. And so I said to myself, okay, so I've walked this I've walked this area a certain amount of times and I've done this. If I don't get them to, if I don't see anything tonight that leads me back here, I got to, I got to play off. And I, I said to myself, okay, let's, let's, let's just go eat lunch. Let's do, you know, I had some work to do. And then I get a text. It's from the other two guys. They said they weren't going to be back out at the farm tonight. And this opened up a whole new thought process because where I really wanted to be was in between where they hunt, where one guy hunts and where the other guy hunts. So I had to come up with a plan of how I was going to approach this little ridge. So imagine the letter M and all the lines of the M are where the deer were going to be moving. It's a sloppy M, right? But just an M nonetheless. So the the deer are running are running in a circle it's almost like an a, a a block an m but they're also running from the bottom points of the m along a fence line and they're standing corn to the south of that and so i had a south wind 
And I said to myself, it was a no brainer at this point. I'm playing off the betting area tonight. I don't want to get into that betting area. I'm going to play far off the ridge. Uh, I'm going to guess 100, 200, 300, 500. I was about 500 yards, maybe 600 yards from the other tree stand that I had been hunting in the previous two nights. And I said to myself, this is going to be an awesome location because they weren't, not only were they not going to be there that night, but they were not going to be there the next morning. And I said to myself, I'm going to, I'm going to go set up a tree stand in this furthest East. uh, uh, I guess you would call it a, a ridge point where if you're drawing an M from left to right, so you'd go up and then down and then up and then down on the second up and down right before you go down. That's where I wanted to put my tree stand. And I had a south wind, so it was going to blow out over this pasture down into a standing field. Now, access was going to be a problem. I had two options. I had a two track that I could walk down where they wouldn't smell me, but they ran the risk of somebody, uh, one of these deer seeing me. And I have this internal debate all the time of whether or not um, a deer seeing you versus smelling you is, is worse. Obviously, if you're close to them and they smell you, that's a big problem. They're going to get a huge nose full of you. But I'm a huge believer in a, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a, I don't know if I created it or not, but it's called threat by set potency. And what that means is if I stay far enough away, if I'm you know, if I'm 50 yards from a deer and they smell me, they're going to bolt out of there. They're going to blow. They're going to get, you know, they're going to get scared and run away. But if I'm 500 yards away and my wind may potentially gets to them, it's going to be diluted enough. They're going to be, they may smell it, but then they'll say, ah, uh, the potency of this, uh, of this scent is not a threat because he's far away. I can tell that it's not concentrated. So Now I knew where I wanted to be, but now access was the main issue. So I said to myself, man, it's an active farm. There's people out there working, you know, on tractors and doing chores all the time. Let me run the risk of blowing, like having my scent hit them as opposed to them watching me walk down this two track because the two track was lower than the ridge that I wanted to sit on. And with the trees gone or the leaves starting to fall off, I could actually, they could actually see where I would have had to come out of the field or off this gate at the end of the two track loop back around and J hook into my stand. I I feel like they, they would have been able to see me. So what I did was I went clear to the South end on a South wind, parked my truck by a gate. And then I looped way out into this pasture, way past where any of these deer were potentially maybe in this draw or bedded. I looped way around and then started angling back in towards the timber line of this pasture in hopes that I, my scent was, I knew my scent was going to hit them, but I knew it wasn't going to be a concentrated scent that was going to hit them. And I didn't think it was going to, because it was an active farm, maybe it was something that they uh, were used to. So I loop all the way around, get into the timber, find uh, walk 
probably a hundred, I'm going to say 80 yards into the timber. And I'm, I'm sloping down at this point, uh, towards that, that field edge or the field bottom. And I find a good tree and I had a trail camera in there from before that was, uh, this deer, what these deer weren't on it, but there was a couple good deer, um, that I had, uh, that I had, I had seen on, on a previous, on that, uh, October 10th trail camera, uh, check but nothing recently. So I start to set up the tree stand south wind. It's a little, it's a little janky in there. It's not going straight south. It's kind of floating back and forth. The wind wasn't, there wasn't a lot of wind and that's what, man, I hate. I would rather, I would rather hunt in howling winds than no wind at all because the wind starts to shift and it's almost like an ocean tide and it just kind of floats back and forth. And, uh, then it would pick up, but then it would stop. The thing I had going for me was I was above the shade. My tree stand was in the sun. So when I would, uh, throw my dust out there, it, it seemed to be floating. So I had some thermals potentially working for me in this scenario and they would just drift out over top of the bottom, uh, field. So I get, uh, I, I, I get my four sticks up and I have the stand on my back. And I'm on the second step and I start hearing crunching and I look behind me and there's 140 inch man. He could have been a four-year-old 140 inch, maybe 145 inch 10 pointer. And he is, it's almost like he's, he's one of those drunk bucks, right? He's just looking around. He has no clue I'm there. Uh, but I'm, I'm frozen at this point and I'm sitting there for about a couple minutes and my calf and my calf is starting to like cramp up because I'm on just the tiptoe of one of my boots and I'm on a, a lone wolf stick and I got one leg up and I'm trying to hug the tree and I don't want to spook this deer because if I spook this deer, then it's over. But then I'm thinking about, Oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of playing off tonight. I knew that there was a chance I could bump something on this Ridge coming into it this way, but tomorrow morning I'll be able to walk that two track down J hook in and it would be, it'll be much better. Well, <laughs> the deer gets closer and closer and closer. He's five yards from me and he's just standing there and he's behind a tree. So I, I was able to adjust long story short, he gets spooked out. I don't know if he caught my scent, but he took like five big bounds and then he just kind of walked away. He didn't, he didn't run. He didn't blow. He just kind of walked away, whatever, finished setting up. And this is where I thought, man, I, I just thought I had this gut feeling. My gut told me to be in this tree, but I had another gut feeling saying you, you weren't going to see shit tonight. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be a morning spot. Well, I was wrong, man. I had two young deer, young bucks come right through the area, uh, they were just heads up, scent checking everything, nose to the ground. One of them made a, a scrape, and then they would come up, pop up, and they'd work their way down into the the cornfield and then the the picked cornfield, and then they disappeared. All right, so at this point, I'm like, hey man, there's deer in the area. They're moving. I'm set up. I'm ready to go. I'm happy. Awesome. I set I set back, and I'm just chilling. It's like 4:30 at this point. And uh, sun was going down at probably about six, like it was getting pretty pitch black dark at six thirty ish. So it's about four thirty, 
and uh, the sun's kind of getting lower and lower and lower. And I look out into the field down below me and I'm seeing a deer trot through it. Put the binos up, good deer. Grab the antlers and I crack them together. And I do one of those, I do, I do one of those rattling sequences where the, uh, the horns start to smell because they get so warm. I wanted, I wanted that deer to know I was here and he turns around and he starts running at me like he's being chased, like he's, he's being party hunted and he blows into the timber and he stops at about, oh, 80 yards. I think I ranged him at it about 88 yards or something like that. And he's, he's standing there. And this is what I love about the white-tailed deer. He stood there motionless, looking into the timber for a good five minutes. And so I bring my, my uh, binos up to him. And it's, it's a 10-pointer. I wasn't 100% sure if it was the 10-pointer from the trail camera because I only saw his right side. And that right side did have a little hook, but it didn't look like his G2 on the left side had a had those kickers and stickers off of it. But this was a four-year-old for sure. Four-year-old, four, a four-year-old deer for sure. And it was one of those deer that, oh my God, man, I wanted to shoot. Like I could shoot him and be happy, but I could pass him and also be happy. Right, he was right on that line, and I'm gonna put him in that 145 class, uh, 10 point range. But one of those deer that you know, if you let him go, he has the chance to be something really special as a five year old next year. So I didn't know if I wanted to shoot him or not. So he's sitting there, he's sitting there, and I'm, and he starts to. This five minutes goes by, and he starts to work his way angling not necessarily coming my direction but he's gaining he's gaining distance but he's kind of paralleling me almost but he's kind of gaining distance so i reach around in my bag and i'm trying to fish for my uh, my grunt tube and i'm like oh shit i left my grunt tube in the truck in a different jacket that i didn't i wore this morning but i didn't wear tonight so I was having this meltdown in the stand. I'm like, oh shit, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So this deer works his way out into the field. And then I'm kind of watching him walk away. So this deer has made his made my choice for me, right? Uh, he's kind of walked away. I didn't think I was going to see him again. And then I watch him kind of take a hard right turn back into the timber, up the drainage that leads to one of the trail cameras. And so he kind of goes in there and I wanted to get a better look at him. So I snort wheezed at him because that's the only thing I knew how to do. Uh, I didn't, I, I didn't want to rattle again cause he was too close and I didn't have a grunt tube. So I just threw out the, and he kind of looked in my direction just for a moment, put his head back down and started walking up, walking up. I could see him just barely. He was disappearing in, in through the shadows and in the sticks and the thickness in there. And I could hear him making a scrape. And then he, and then I could still hear him, but I couldn't see him trotting. And it looked like he was, tr- it, it had looked like he had turned to come back up the, um, the drainage, but to my Southeast, I saw him North uh, he came into the northwest of me. He looped all the way around, and I thought maybe he was going to come up and try to get downwind of me, 
or no, he would have been, he already would have been downwind to me because this was a, a south wind blowing over, you know, from the high ground to the south to the north was where he had already looped down. So my thermals must have been working just great. And so I see some more antlers in the, in there. And I'm like, oh God, he's, he's coming back around. He's, you know, that he laid that scrape and then he's going to come back around, put my binos up and it's a different deer. I could tell just by the color, this 10 point had real dark, like a dark chocolate type of uh, rack. Uh, not, not a pure chocolate rack, but darker, right? This one was a, a wider rack, like white, like a, that, that chalky type look like a deer that's been in the sun a lot. And I look at him like, Hey man, that's not him. It looks kind of, looks, that's a four point side. Can't really tell. Can't really see the deer's body. Put my binos back down. And I, then I, I see another deer come through or I see another deer working his way in that thickness. I put my binos up. It's that same deer. So now I knew, Hey, we have another deer up here. Couldn't really tell who he like, who or what he was put my binos back up on the other deer and he swings his head and I'm like fucking bingo it's him it's the wide eight the wide nine whatever it's the wide deer and I go into like just like my brain is going click 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 like strategy what should I do what should I do what should I do so I opt to kind of sit and wait for a second and this, uh, this other deer, this other deer has come up and now he's trying to work his way up the ridge to the, uh, to the South of this, this wide buck. And this wide buck steps out behind this fallen tree and he's bristled up ears back and he's walking through the timber like a big bull moose, like just like rocking his head back and forth. And I'm, I'm watching this wide set of antlers just kind of go back and forth and he's making his way he's kind of following this deer and this deer's trying to go up and then he he kind of like does a quick move where the back feet stay uh you'll see this in in um horse shows sometimes where the back feet stay in place but they'll jump with their their front feet over to block or like i don't know whatever it is like a, a rancher will do that and this deer was doing that trying to prevent him and so he gets to a tree and he starts raking this tree. Uh, and I'm like, bingo, he's in a very aggressive mood. This, this might just work. And so I snort wheeze one more time. And the deer swings, the, the big wide deer. At this point, he's probably 44 yards. I got one good range at him, but there's no shot opportunity at 40 yards. It's thick. It's thick where he was at. And he looks back my way and then he turns back and he starts going to town on this tree again. By this time, that other 10 pointer, the smaller 10 pointer, still a four year old 10 pointer has said, I'm, I'm out of here. So he dropped down back into the field and he was going back in the direction of where he was originally going to go. And so this deer, this other deer sitting there, it's like five o'clock now. So all this has taken place over a 30 minute period. And so I, I got fired up for a second, but I was able to watch him and calm down. Like my, my heart wasn't beating out of control. I knew there wasn't a shot opportunity as of right now. And I'm, I'm watching him rake this tree and he stops 
he takes a direction to walk straight away from me. And I'm like, in my, in my head, I thought he's going to walk away from me. So I snort wheezed one more time, <laughs> just a real hard snort wheeze. And it was kind of funny. He put his head down for a second, almost like, I'm going to have to fuck somebody up today. Like, like he didn't want to fight, but he's going to fight. And he turns around and he starts making his way towards me. And I had, so I had to quick get my rangefinder out of my pocket. And I was kind of, I was trying to figure out what the flow of terrain. I was looking at him, but also watching where, like trying to look where he was going to at. So I arranged this tree 20 yards on the button, 20 yards on the button. And so as soon as he clears this maple tree, as he's behind this maple tree, I was going to draw back. And as he stepped out, 20-yard broadside shot, I visualized it, dead deer. Perfect shot. But that didn't happen. He gets behind this maple tree, and he takes a hard right turn. I mean, right to the bottom of my tree stand. That's, that's the angle that he's coming from. And because I was on, a, I was on an incline, he was only about, if you drew a line from where he was standing to the tree that I was at, it was probably only, I was only eight foot above him, right? My tree was probably, my stand was probably 20 foot in the tree, 18 to 20 foot in the tree. But at the angle, he was only about eight to 10, I would say about eight feet below me. And so as he turns towards me, I had to quick draw my bow, but I didn't want to bring my bow up. So I, I drew it real slow at my waist and then I brought it up and he's on a consistent walk and he clears the maple tree. He's, oh God, he's inside 20 yards and he's dead on me. And I drew back. I settled my pin right into his chest. I'd say a good, I don't know, a, like right where the creases of the shoulder, if you were to draw a line right from there below, like right in the center of his chest, right below the white spot by about, 10 inches and I settled the pin there. I thought for a second, do I wait? Uh, what if, I mean, he's going to, at some point he's going to come too close and he's, you know, he, I put him at about 10 yards, 20 steps is what I uh, counted it after from my bottom of my tree stand to where impact was, was 20 ste- steps. He's dead on me. His head is up. I let the arrow go. Boom smoked him absolutely drilled him and at this point i said to myself you know and you know it i'm talking to you slow but all these thoughts and things are happening in a long in a in a very short you know in a very short period of time very quick seconds mere seconds i draw back settle my pin right into his chest let it go buried it and I noticed it wasn't a pass through or anything like that, which, you know, I've shot, I've shot a deer, I've shot deer in the chest before and, uh, they weren't, they weren't passed through either, but they were deadly. And so I, he, he quick spun around and I could see the arrow slide. It was still in him, but it slid out. So it got longer, but I, I said to myself, Hey, I, I got a half arrow. I thought to myself, a half arrow, half arrow. I got in him. It was eventually longer than that, but he turns around, pounce, pounce, falls over, kicks once dead. And that, that happened within 
from the sec from the the time that the deer hit him to the time or the arrow hit him to the time that he was dead was under 10 seconds. And I sat down and I, I, I came unglued, right? I absolutely came unglued and, uh, I was, I was freaking like shaking. I was having this moment because this deer, when he's walking to me, looked like an airplane, like I said, a hang glider coming through the woods. By far the widest deer I have ever seen on the hoof. Um, by far the widest deer I've ever killed. And just watching him die in sight was is a glorious thing. It wasn't like the rigmarole I had to go through when I was in um uh, when I was in South Dakota where it was a long track job, the blood, you know, I had to pull him out of a river. I shot this deer. I smoked him. Uh, I watched him die, and it was a this this beautiful ethical kill. And come to find out, when I was gutting him, my broadhead I got I got 22 inches of penetration on my 32 inch uh, 32 inch arrow. My broadhead cut open his windpipe, hit a jugular, and then it didn't hit the harder lungs. But there's a part in the um, uh, in the chest cavity where the heart, the lungs all meet. There's all this connective tissue and there's all these arteries and veins. My arrow went right through that, that center point. And when I was gutting him and pulling all his guts, his heart rolled out. So I, I didn't hit his heart. I just disconnected his heart from the rest of the body. And it was, it was like my arrow straight destroyed him and he fell over dead in less than 10, 10 seconds. And then that's it, man. I mean, like called the wife, called my stepdad, called my mom, called my good buddy, Ryan Iberg, um, and just started the text message and sat there. And I was just, I, I was just in complete shock that it worked because I, I really didn't think I was going to see too much movement. I was kind of waiting for the tomorrow morning movement. That's where my expectations were at. But once the night began to unfold and I knew deer were in the area, I became more optimistic. And and it's just a, it just, I don't know, it, it capitalized, uh, I don't even know what the word is I'm looking for. Uh, I wish I had a bigger vocabulary at this point. It's one of those things where my strategy and the way that I, I'm not telling you this is how you should do it, but my system works for me. So I would say, if I'm going to give any advice to anybody, it's find a system that works for you. This system that I put into place this year, last year, the year before, the past six years has worked for me. And when it starts to work and, and I wasn't, I was thinking and calculating, but it was natural. It was, it was going with the flow. It was fluid the, these, these decision makings, uh, this decision making was fluid and man, I, I don't know. I'm still riding high on that. Uh, and that's one thing that I was talking to Tony Peterson about on another episode was what gets me off as a hunter. And it is the kill, you know, killing the animal is, is the ultimate end game, but Walking into the woods, putting a strategy together and accomplishing that is what really gets me off. 
like that chess game. And I walked into the woods and I beat a five-year-old who lives in that environment 365 days a year. And now I walk in on a first sit into this area, the run and gun first time in best time in type scenario. And I beat him. And I went into a good spot where my gut and my calculations told me I needed to be based off the access route, based off the wind direction, based off the terrain feature. And I put an arrow in this deer and I, 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 I was successful. And I'll tell you what, man, I, I'm happy. And, and, and really that's the end of the story, man. Um, I, I left my trail cameras out there. I'm going to collect some information for the, uh, I'm going to collect some information for the next couple, you know, for the next year. I'll leave that, those trail cameras out there, collect data for the next year, see what it is they do. That's just more information. Um, now, now I'm hoping that the corn does not come out so that there's a there's there's a late season option as well late uh, a late season play so um that's the story that's the strategy hopefully it made sense to you guys uh first off i want to say thank you to each and every one of you who who have messaged me wished me success i love the fact that you guys have been emailing me your your pictures of your success and uh and just writing i fucking did it dan so continue that uh, that trend. If you are successful, I want to see, I fucking did it. And then I want you to, uh, I want you to uh, email me a pic of your deer. I love seeing that stuff. Also, um, thank you for listening. Thank you. Uh, go out, hunt hard. There's still plenty of time left. I mean, the peak of the rut, uh, as far as breeding is concerned is November 14th throughout the Midwest, uh, and most of North America. So get out there. There's still plenty of time, hunt your balls off. Um, make sure your strategy is on point. And again, I contribute access routes to be one of the biggest contributing factors to my success. Uh, so make sure that uh, you're refining and really thinking about your access routes into your tree stand locations. Other than that, thank you, thank you guys. Huge shout out to Vortex, Ozonix, Exodus, Lone Wolf, Wasp, Excalibur, and Hunt Stand. Again, please go out and support the companies that support um, uh, this podcast. And good luck, good vibes in. I'm sending tons of good vibes out into the universe right now. Good vibes out. And at the same time, I want each and every one of you to be safe, wear your safety harness. But remember, this is supposed to be fun. And there's going to be times where it doesn't feel like it's fun, but ultimately it's fun because, you know, if you, if you're just think if you were at work instead, that sucks. So, uh, have a good one. Good luck. And, uh, send me those, uh, send me those success pictures, guys.